the Naked Podcast or Naked at Noon. I'm your host, Jen Taylor. I'd like to thank NGBN Carson City TV for hosting the Naked Podcaster. Download the NGBN.TV app. Anywhere you can download an app, TV, or mobile device and catch all the episodes of the Naked Podcaster live and on demand. If you're looking for group coaching, one-on-one NLP coaching, or you want to have a super fun speaker join your conference, head to my website, momof18.com, and get in touch with me. You can sign up for a 30-minute complimentary strategy session to determine if we're a great fit. There's also a lot of free information on my website. There's a free quiz on my landing page. Actually, it's on the welcome page designed to reinvent, rediscover, or remember what gives you purpose, passion, and drive. A comprehensive how to podcast PDF if you're wanting to start a podcast of your very own. And a free PDF copy of my book, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, on my book page. So check it out on mom18.com. We had really amazing sponsors on the show. If you're interested in being a sponsor or an advertiser, just get in touch. Today, I have Dr. Ken Rashawn. Did I pronounce that correctly? I'm afraid you did. Ah. I'm, not, I'm not scared, but I'm afraid you did. <laughs> but you're known as Dr. Smiley. And it, you, it is true. You have your doctorate. Congratulations. That's Thanks a pretty, the pandemic. Yes. Tell, like, actually jump in on that, on, on you getting your doctorate. Well, you know, when you're an event photographer, speaker, DJ, all those lovely things that connect to events, and then events go <laughs> annihilated. You get other opportunities to pivot. So I decided to throw myself into a dissertation. And uh, around October of last year, I got my PhD and I go to Hawaii this July to collect said certificate. Yay! <laughs> Yay! What was your doctorate in? Your it was in philosophy with a concentration in entrepreneurology. Entrepreneurology. Yes, for I, entrepreneurs. A, I mean, I figured it, is. it was for. It is well, a thing, huh? I just, I, I just made it up. Uh, no, it's, it's, it, it is an accredited, <laughs> it's an accredited PhD. And uh, I think it's something you have to search for. If you're in, being an entrepreneur or a serial entrepreneur, which I am, this is a great program for you. And we're going to, that's a great segue for jumping in. So you have the many websites that are Dr. Ken. The first thing is that you have the KenRashawn.WeTransfer.com. Tell me about that one first, because we're going to spend a bunch of time on the many, <laughs> the many URLs that are well, that particular that particular one is a great one because I can talk usually about forty eight minutes about that particular URL. <laughs> Perfect, nail <laughs> so it. So that that is actually just an account. It's like a Dropbox. Yeah. So when I send lots of photos or lots of books to people, it exceeds the twenty five megabyte allowance for email. So that is used for that. My signature block just cleaned up two days ago has all the different links to all the different books, all the different topics. And uh, one of the big topics we have right now is obviously, you know, A Dose of Hope. Yes. So, you know, yes. I think when we originally talked, I don't think we had this uh, this mega mother. Well, um, I, I no, we didn't. You had a cover pick something. Yeah, we've talked yes, before. This cover. is in our first rodeo. Yes. So you have it. Yeah, and I'll, yeah, I have, and in fact, I have two volumes. Now it's volume one and two, and then I have volume three and four coming out next month, and that's going to be with your story. And I have never been on a podcast where there's so many filtrations and arduous process to get back into the live <laughs> zone with you. <laughs> you know, I thought, I blamed myself because I said, maybe I was wearing a shirt. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> 
but it i mean it could have been the problem so we actually recorded you were my first live podcast episode january 5th of 2021 of this year and something went horrible it was it was a rough show because um we had a lot of technical issues that day a snowstorm nicole there was construction it was nuts and the the audio it didn't work we tried really hard and it didn't work and so it's taken two months to get you back on here but it was the best show i've ever done i've done hundreds maybe even thousands of shows that was the best show ever so we'll have to show that another time what we have to try to get as much of the footage from that as well, we possibly can if you recall, um, there was a price check on aisle eight and we couldn't even get a price check for Doritos in aisle eight. So, I mean, it was a horrific day. <laughs> it was a horrific day. <laughs> okay. So your next website is theumbrellasyndicate.com. I'm not going to lie. That is definitely it. That is, that's the next one I have on my UR, string of URLs happening here. So tell us about what the Umbrella Syndicate is, because there are a lot of ways that people can connect with you and work with you. So I really want to highlight all of them. Well, first of all, you're making me, I don't usually regret things in life, but you're making me actually regret something for the first time, I think, oh. in my life. Okay. I would have gone to GoDaddy last month and I would have bought a lot more URLs if we were to <laughs> If you had known. <laughs> I mean, I only own nine and I'm only doing like five for you. So, you know, how you many do you like own? 18. You should yeah, have for 18 kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, but somehow I don't. So but, tell hey, me. Before you get on my show, before you get on yes. my show, that you have to have 18 URLs, please. Okay. I'll Fair enough. work really. Yeah, I'll just get super cheap ones, like a dollar so, each. Pay for that actually, and I. Um, I don't have the ability to show you the entire, but that is the Umbrella Syndicate yes. logo. Look and at it's you. On the back, it's on the back of all my books. So that little guy there. Yeah. And the six triangles actually are symbolic in that they mean some business or vertical that I like to dip my toe in or help people with their social proof. And <clears throat> one is a photography company, one's a publishing company, uh, promotion, production, DJ, a lot of, a lot of P words there. But basically, <laughs> basically, I use those companies to help facilitate an accelerated uh, success for leaders. Right. And Umbrella, you have your own road, radio show, Rodeo. I do. <laughs> this is it is own. a rodeo show, too. I... Um, so it's on Voice America. But the, the URL, Voice, uh, the Umbrella Syndicate, is a media company that helps me facilitate all those different companies into one place. So we, we, we get a lot of social media action when we go to events. One of the things, uh, yeah, I bet, I bet you do. That's really awesome. And one of the things you talk about, and I love this, but it's really hard also is empty growth versus authentic growth. Yes. So from the very get go, I studied uh, Facebook back in 2006. I realized that if I was building a company like Facebook or any uh, social platform, I would want to make sure it was authentic. So we never bought likes. We always made sure that we advised our clients not to buy likes. And, you know, you can buy 10,000 likes, but the I... problem is you have a dead page because it's not organic and it's an anchor to no engagement. So really a death zone for anyone trying to build. And then the other part of it is when people see that it's not authentic and there's no engagement, they think you're a fraud. 
So right, you know, I didn't even know you could do that. So there you go. Well, I mean, go to Google and say buy ten thousand likes, and you'll find it's about you know ten dollars to a hundred dollars, but it's going to actually sink your page. And guess who's happy about that? You. No, Facebook. Facebook. Because then you have to buy more ads, more more boost yeah. to get your uh, page to actually hit real people. Do you? What is your thought process on paid ads? Can we have that well, conversation? I wasn't really prepared. I thought that was going to be our next month's show. Okay, but we can do it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, paid ads are a really good idea if you have someone advising you where your niche or your avatar is going to be found and doing the right type of spending to do the data research to see that it's actually okay. converting or getting the traffic to your page is is. If you don't do that, I don't think it's worth doing ads. Okay. That's just a great side note. The next URL that I have is perfectpublishing.com. Okay. That gets me a little emotional. Okay. That particular URL. Just, I mean, even the way you said it. Perfectpublishing.com. So well, that, that actually is my legacy URL. That's the one where I meet people and I say, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And what do you want to do? What do you want your life to say about you? And so we publish books, a lot of them, almost 200 books are, are on Amazon that we've helped people uh, either position themselves as an expert, tell their inspiring story. And as a segue, if you are an inspiring person and you're not selling that as part of the equation to convert, you are missing probably 50 to 70% of your opportunity to convert people to love and be inspired by you. So we're a big proponent and advocate of working with people that are community leaders that are talking from stage with purpose and passion. And if you're not captivating that and causing that to be some type of published item or a legacy piece, you're missing out. Wow. You offer a lot and your prices are really reasonable. I worked in the publishing space for a little while and you help people with a small amount or completely ghostwriting it. Yes, and the reason for that is we're doing enough volume and we also have enough other companies to support it that it is leveraged and it also is accelerated because of all those variables. I so if you have, love that. Yeah, so most publishers are technically printers, as you may kind of be aware, or they're strategists for the first month of getting your book out and then it falls flat after you get your 200 sales or on Amazon, you become an Amazon hey, I didn't even do that. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> my my so idea just, with marketing is like if you imagine that you're in a pitch black room and you know there's a dartboard across it and you just start winging darts and you hope something lands on the dartboard that that was sort of my marketing philosophy i didn't know that at the time but retrospectively and i think a lot of people have that same marketing strategy but they pretend not to so well I think it's a great marketing strategy if you're science-minded because you're looking at what's happening when you do something. And if it's not converting, you do different things until, but unfortunately, a lot of people that yeah. use that strategy, they stay in that strategy or they just stop yeah. and give up. <laughs> right, right, okay. So you you have other things that support and you really, you have a passion for people's stories to be heard. Yes, because I've watched too many brilliant people leave this planet. Um, they pass and they don't know that the download was worth a lot to the people that love them. But also it is unfortunate that it's forgotten. No one, no one knows the, the wisdom. So my son, who is 
a whopping seven years old. He's going to be eight in June, and on Flag Day, he turns eight. He now has four books on Amazon. In fact, I think I might even have one I handy. I was going to say, one, please tell me. There's, there's one of them. Oh, handy. awesome. And I mean, this and all these books I show you on the show, anyone can get for free if they just can connect with me. But okay. there's. So there's a couple. Oh, hey, I, I, I got, love I got it. one to read you. I got, I got one to read you from this book. Can I do one? Okay, yeah. One? Yes, okay. yes, yes. The riddle. Okay, the riddle. So I love this riddle, and Kenny allowed me to stick this one in. So there's about 135 riddles. So here we go. So Jen, are you ready? I, I'm ready. <laughs> I hope Nicole's ready too, and I hope yeah, Mike's ready. Just, Happy birthday Mike, to Mike. This is Mike's. Mike this is Mike's on birthday NTV riddle. TV. It's my okay. Go. <laughs> All right, here we go. What does man love more than life? Hate more than death or mortal strife. That which contented men desire, the poor have, the rich require. The miser spends, the spencer saves, and all men carry to their graves. And this is number 78 right there. Okay. So most of them are easier. This is a little more cerebral, but it's kind of an interesting answer. You ready for it? Yeah, I typed it while you were saying it, so I know the answer. <laughs> oh, you do? Good job. All right, we'll go ahead and give the answer to the guest. Nothing. The answer is nothing. Yes, because all contented, that which contented men desire nothing, the poor have nothing, the rich require nothing, the miser spends nothing, the spencer saves nothing, and all men take their graves, nothing. So that is kind of what happens with a book when you don't do it. You take nothing, you leave nothing for the planet. You leave nothing for the people you love. And you don't even prove that you even existed to some degree. I was an author before I realized I was an author. I did a book like that about my great grandmother. I was really close with her. And so I put this book together and it only went to family members. It's not published like, you know, but it was when she started having dementia, I had a conversation. I said, so you went on like a field trip today with the independent living. What did you do? And she goes, oh, Jennifer, I don't remember what I had for lunch, but I remember anything from 50 years ago. And I said, great, let's talk about that. And that's how the idea came to me. I wanted my grandmother to have conversations that weren't frustrating for her. So I created this book and I actually didn't complete it before her final interview didn't make it in the book because she didn't live that long. I was going to fly mm. out. Yeah. And how important that is. And so I am so on board with that philosophy. People don't realize what they're missing or how to find connection with people that are already gone yeah i think there are two regrets and i've never said this before so jen thank you for the eight tries to get back on your show that this epiphany i think it's actually a pretty big epiphany um epiphany one is known by a lot of people when they're on their deathbed people say do you have any regrets and they say yeah one of my regrets is i work too much and i didn't spend enough time with my family that's that's very common that people say that but i don't think many people say from the other side, my regret is I didn't spend the last 30 days, if I'd known the person was going to pass, of recording, downloading, getting the juice, the wisdom, and the gold nuggets, you know, the, the fun stories. And that part you can't get afterwards. It's, that's gone. Yeah. Agreed. I'm so grateful that I did what I did. And so now the family is talking about doing one for my grandmother, which would be amazing because mm -hmm. we know her, but you don't know her story and not everyone has time to listen to the story. 
Yeah, and that's the part about the recording is that you find where it's relevant and you and you tighten it up and you turn it into something that's really enjoyable to read. And you know, if if I'm about to lose my uncle, my uncle Lenny, and he is actually one of the best storytellers I've ever met in my life. And I asked over the last ten years at least, can I please come up to Rhode Island, visit you, record you, and create this in a book just for family? And he says, I don't think it's that important. I said, you have done so many great things with your stories, entertained many people over and over again, same exact stories, and they're just phenomenal. And his military career as an enlisted man was the highest it could be. He was a general's driver. So he constantly got to work with the top brass because why? He was a great storyteller. Anyone loves to have people around that can tell great jokes and entertain, et cetera. And he was just a natural. So... It's going to be sad that the inevitable will happen. He will leave probably within the next month and his stories go with him. And it's not just the stories, it's the voice, it's the telling, it's the, I mean, he has so many gifts and he never gave credit for it. And, and by the way, he, he was a very abundant person. So he did very well in life. He was one of the top realtors in Rhode Island, became a top broker in Rhode Island. So tell me, do you think that's any relation to the fact that he was a top, you know, in the listed being a driver? That's a person that can tell stories. You buy from people you're inspired from, you buy from people that you're entertained by, and you buy from people you trust because they, they're just giving you the real stuff. How much did he impact you in his storytelling to start writing your own stuff and then inspire others to write? I wish I could say a lot. He didn't, but I always wanted to mm -hmm. capture his, I wish I had his gift. That's, I mean, that's the distinction. Uh, what really did it for me was my mom passing of Alzheimer's. And I said, um, you know what? I've been saying for 30 years, I'm going to write a book. When's that going to happen? Am I going to be, you know, the next candidate of wake up, you're about to die and there's nothing downloaded. And then when I had my son, I said, you know what? I don't want my son. Cause I had a, I had a child late in life. I, I didn't do the 40 year virgin version. I did the 50 year virgin. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> so my son is seven years old and he is such an amazing kid, but I know that I might pass earlier than I want to with regard to his, um, his upbringing. And I don't know when that's going to be. And I can't guarantee it's going to be long enough for me. So I decided every year I'd write a book for him. And now I'm deciding every year he's going to write a book for himself. Like he learns how important legacy is. And I, I think he's going to, he's going to be a pro, you know, he's, uh, he's going to be an 800 page book for the last three days. He's written his story, his story as Kenny, what was your childhood like? You know, <laughs> what were defining moments in your life? And he doesn't know these things, but I, I showed him how to articulate that. And he's learning at an age of seven, how to articulate as an adult, what the purposes of your life or what, what wisdom you get from life. And he has, he, he has such great stuff. I'm going to say that this is going to be probably my favorite story. I'm biased, of course, but he has 860 uh, words, 860 words about his life in this, in this book right now. That is amazing. <laughs> that's amazing what a great thing to give your child though what a great gift you know uh his mouth literally dropped when i had to explain what a defining moment was i said because uh, i said what's your defining moment he says well, what is that and i said it's something that you hold so dear that you would never want to lose and he goes oh daddy that's my brain i said well you know i mean uh, define an object i'm sorry define an object and he says i said well a defining object is not like a, a brain he says well then my heart because <laughs> and then i said no and they named mommy and daddy and then i said and he says oh it's not something alive and i said no and so he he picked uh legos and i said well legos in general or some lego thing you built and he said this specific lego thing i built is a whole community it's a whole city and i said you want to hear what my 
defining object is, the one thing that I, I love the most, and I was looking for it, and I don't see it here because, of course, it's at my house, but it is his first book that he did, which is Kenny's mm -hmm. favorite. And when, he, when I shared it with him, his mouth dropped, and he couldn't believe that that's the object I would, he said, more than the house, and I said, more than the house. Because the thing you hold dearest is the thing you hold dearest. There's nothing that can compete with it, or it's not the, <laughs> it's not the one. So right. when he did when he did that, I realized that the pandemic was the biggest gift I could give him was to spend time with him and cultivate these books to come out of him. And get your doctorate on the side. And get a doctorate on the side. Yep. And, and, okay. And <laughs> the next of the 30 websites is yeah. absoluteentertainment.com. Okay. So that is my previous bread and butter. I stopped being a, a world DJ. A, I, I went to over 100 countries to get music from around the world. I love that. this. I love <laughs> this story. I have a note that says 100 countries. Yes, yeah. jump into this story. Well, when you do only as when you study something to the extent you can study it, you wonder where you're going to go from there. And so I kept taking the echelon higher until I finally said, you know what, I'm going to get uh, music from at least 100 countries that will all be considered the ultimate solution to um, multicultural weddings. And so any any time there was a, an event planner that had someone from India and someone from Greece or someone from Greece and someone from America, wherever, it didn't matter. I knew how to do the music by beat numerically for any culture. And so you can imagine how unique that was to be able to offer and how valuable that was to brides who said, can you please, uh, can you please both of our guests? Can you please both of our cultures? And it really comes wow. down to, you play music for two cultures of course you can it's all numbers it's all numbers everything's how a is it i know everything's a b and uh music is very mathematical i mean it's completely mathematical mm -hmm. but how did you how did you get it down to a beat and what was it well, like traveling those countries well the first question of a beat is that's something that a dj that mixes would would know that no matter what american music or what club music or disco i don't care what music even rock music it all has a beat and you can mix rock with club i mean as long as you move the pitch and so it wasn't really difficult to find punjabi music or any type of cultural music has obviously a number and i'd say well what if we put these two numbers together and it would be amazing ah. and honestly it was a little bit of ahead of its time because in the last 10 or 20 years, that's exactly what has happened with music. It's become a melting pot. You, the people that can merge un, um, I guess, unique blends of music that have never been put together do very well. And then the second question you said about the countries, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> well, I was a workaholic and I did not know that you could take a vacation. And so right around uh, 2006, I went on my first cruise and I, visited um, Rome and Athens and uh, Cairo and all these neat places. And I got the bug and I said, you know what? I'm gonna work harder to make sure I can see the world every single year and see 10 countries a year. So for 10 years, I saw 10 countries, 100 countries. And it was real simple. Wow. You, you look for a cruise or whatever trip you're gonna take and make your deposit a year out and just make payments. So by the time you go on the cruise or whatever you're planning on, it's, it's, it's a palatable amount. And some of the things I went on were over $20,000, but you just make those payments and it's just like anything else. Uh, I'll say one thing about travel, two things actually. One is that if you buy something that you wanna do, you'll find the way to make more money. And if you weren't going to do it, you may not have made more money. But the second part of it is when you go on these trips, 
you meet the most extraordinary people. You meet people that actually have created a life they love, create a life where they can budget whatever they want. And so you learn from them what they read, what they do, and you become more successful. I love that. I'm going to go into the last URL because I think it was on your trial. Can I get a tissue? I wish I had a tissue handy. This is the last URL. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the keepsmilingmovement.com. That is the last URL. When did you start that? Do you wish you had started it earlier? I mean, I, th well, I, I think we always wish that, but um, yeah. realistically, I, I lost my mom in order to be awakened that life is valuable and that you need to do something more um, purposeful than just work. So that, that had to happen because of my mom. And that was the gift I think she gave me when she passed. <clears throat> the second part is you may ask God for a purpose-driven life, but until you're ready to receive it, you actually have to go on a journey to kind of prove it before you get the magic I guess, card or whatever. And for me, it was a key smiling card. And it's it's actually in 30 languages. So this is the Spanish one. And for those of you who may not know this person, this was the past president of Mexico. So <clears throat> all these lovely people, there's my son, by the way. Right. Yeah, all right. There he is. So, um, and then on the other side, we have Persian. So we have 30 languages. And, you know, music, to be lucky enough to do DJing, music is the universal language, but a smile is the universal expression. And I have documented over the last five years with cameras that if you hand a card to somebody in another language and they only know that language, how much they light up and how much they smile. But even if you don't hand the card and you smile, they know what that means. They don't have to say, you're not speaking Mandarin right now. I have no idea what this facial gesture is. <laughs> So what I do to get the smile to be even bigger is I'll see someone like from, I don't know, Nigeria or Sweden, and I'll just take my shirt off and I'll smile. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. That's how my show started. Yeah, that, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about what the Keep Smiling movement is and the books about it. And it attaches to the A Dose of Hope, which you showed us the book just a minute ago. And let, can we dive in a little deeper to... This is the mega mother. Yeah, we're going to dive deep. This is the mega mother. And I don't know if you want to jump back into your story now, if this is to segue the Keep Smiling movement, we can do it that way too. That might work better. Okay. Um, so the segue before my mom had Alzheimer's. Before, before the story. The story before the story. The story before the story. Okay. So I was born in Rhode Island and. Me I too. Whoop, whoop. I know. That's the, that was a, we couldn't miss that. Right? <laughs> and uh, within two months I was in Paris because my dad was a military officer and I traveled the world. And some 12 moves later, I was back in the United States and. Um, just as I was about to become a senior, moved to Fort Meade, Maryland, my dad's last duty assignment, and found out, wow, this area, the DMV, which is District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia, is a complete entrepreneurial dream. Do you know why? Because hmm. back then, eight of the richest counties in the States were all around D.C. Oh, yeah. All the government contractors. So that makes you, sense. Could, you could not pick a business that you were committed to and not make money. It was that simple. So I started at age 18, two businesses, a DJ company. Yeah, you were a senior in high school. That's crazy. Yeah, and it made sense. I mean, I, I'd read Tom Sawyer when I was 12. I'd done all this. 
you know, mowing lawns, paper delivery, all that kind of stuff. And when I got here, I was like, you know what? This is a real place. This is a real game. You can actually play the entrepreneurial business mind. So um, that period of time taught me how to be an entrepreneur, but it also taught me that to be a bit materialistic and to be a workaholic, like just work hard and be number one. And it, that's not a purpose-driven life. So when my mom was diagnosed in 2005 with dementia, I decided to help my dad with caregiving. And when I did so, I really found out how much I was living life wrong. And so I decided over those three years, I was going to cultivate a relationship with my dad. I was going to think about what kind of shift I was going to make in my life to have a purpose-driven life. And really when my mom passed, I was ready to turn my life over to God and say, tell me what to do. I'm a servant, make my life count. And so for the next seven years, I, uh, I journeyed to events that were nonprofits, inspirational, personal development, all these things. And I met a gentleman, his name is Barry Shorey, and he handed me a card. It was a key smelling card. And it was like the moment in the Blues Brothers where John Belushi goes to the city, James Brown in the church and says, I see the light. And I, I was blown away by this card. I said, man, smiles. That's what my mom was about. That's what life's about. If you have lots of smiles, you have lots of joy. If you have lots of joy, you have a purpose in life, you have a life you love. So I came up with this thing only about a year or two ago, but it's called um, SPH. And it's a TED talk in the making is, what is your smiles per hour? And mm. when I really analyzed life that way, it became an, an easier to make decisions. Like if you have, if you travel and your SPH goes higher, then travel more. If you have an office and it brings you more connections to clients and you can have more abundance, then keep it. If you have a car and spring, so no matter what, if you spend time with your son, gives more SPH to him and more SPH to you, then do more of that. So that, that measure allowed me to really take all these photos that I've been taking of people. So if I met someone like you, Jen, at an event, I'd say, oh my gosh, you have a beautiful smile. And I captured and put it in a book about you smiling. And we haven't had anyone say no because I asked people that are cool. <laughs> Which is great, though. I mean, that's something that I really want to express because you've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds by really big name people, which I want to talk about also. Yeah. And no one has ever said no. No one's ever said no. Yeah. That's John Travolta, me. Matthew McConaughey, Toby Keith, and Quincy Jones. And, and many more. I mean, we have 10,000 yeah. people that have said yes. 10,000. So yes. So sorry, I want to jump. I'm so excited by that. Well, I think, uh, I think they... So the tonality in the voice is very important for a podcaster. But when you say to somebody, you have a beautiful spirit, can I capture it? You show that you're really about that. They say, sure, like that. Or, you know, they, they laugh, but it's always like, cool. I remember from our conversation before, you in the beginning, you didn't label them right. or didn't. 5,000 people I photographed and never thought. Hey, can I get your name? Can I get your business card? Or even if I got their business card, I never thought, let me match the business card with the frame. Right. So we have a book called The Mystery Edition, and it's growing. We have about 3,000 pictures in it. It's going to be over 5,000 more all said and done. And then we have another book called The Mega Edition. It has almost 3,000 photos in it, and it's going to be about 5,000 when it's all said and done. And it's, that's just flipping through and seeing picture after picture of all these cool people. And these really are top one percenters or higher. That, I mean, I'm very serious about that. These are people yeah. on stage. These are people playing really big. And I, I'm so lucky to have met them. But the thing I found out that was most important is who are they and how did they create who they are? So I found a commonality. People that have a life they love, they are typically relentless and unstoppable in creating who they are.
because you can't just have it given to you. I mean, people that have it given to them, there's no appreciation and they wouldn't, they wouldn't know what to do with the life that was just handed to them. I mean, look at the people that fall into a million dollars, two million dollars from lotto and they're happy. So someone that is persistent says, I want to be this person. They will put whatever it takes to create that. And then that will actually give them their, why they do it, why they live, why they matter. And then the most important part is how they administer that purpose into the world. And that's through abundance for people that they work with. That's through problem solving. Someone says, I can't move. I can't make this happen. And they solve a problem, whether it's hunger or um, abundance or confidence or recovery or mentorship. And the last one is inspiring, being an inspiring, you know, beacon as a leader. So all that said, that's the stories we're collecting in Dose of Hope. And Dose of Hope stands for something that is very mnemonic. And it's actually was given to us by our executive director. The uh, and that is Andrea Adams Miller. So here it is. Let me get my fingers here. Can we do it? Here we go. Dose is D, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, serotonin. and endorphins. And you know, God was pretty cool to give us so many chemicals that relate to us being excited, being in love, um, and, and inspired, being inspired, and anticipating winning. All those come with all these different chemicals. And there is a book that we have that actually shares how those chemicals play in keeping you happy. And when you think about this pandemic, there are a lot of people that are in anxiety and in depression and are, are feeling it. <coughs> you have a dose today, excuse you. Excuse and bless me, you. sorry. And bless <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> you need a dose. <laughs> need a dose I need a dose. <laughs> so we have if a you get dose a dose a day. What's that? A dose a day. Yeah, dose a day will keep you really in the right shift of getting your mindset into positivity because these doses happen to be from people that have had some pretty overwhelming obstacles or challenges or failures to overcome. I mean, one of my favorite and most prized chapters is a gentleman named William Paul Young. And I have been very surprised and I have to confess myself that not everyone knows the person behind the big, you know, contribution they made to life, but he wrote The Shack. Oh, and that, and that movie that became a movie, it did 92 right. million. He is in the dose of hope. He wrote his story, but he had to go through a lot to become the person that could tell that story. He was molested as a child and all this stuff. I mean, I asked him in my interview, I said, if these things hadn't happened to you when you were a kid, would you have created this? And he says, absolutely not. Now he would not wish this on anybody, but he is a man of love and he is a man of understanding. And, you know, I met him in a Starbucks in Portland, Oregon, when I just happened to be flying to a Les Brown event. And he was so kind. He says, if you can meet me before your plane ride, I'll be, I'll be happy to drive over and meet you. He met me. He would have met me for longer than 15 minutes, but I had such an early flight. That was it. I got 15 minutes with him, but he was so gracious. I said, you know, you have made such a big impact in the world, not just with your book and your story, but with you traveling and being committed to sharing your, your word and your wisdom. I, mean, I don't know if you'd be willing to, but we'd be honored to have you in the Keep Smiling movement. And if you'd write your story, and he actually not only did it, but he told me it had never been published, what he wrote. Oh. So. Wow, I have so many chills right now. Holy cow. And you, you probably have heard of um, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yep. Yeah, well, the guy that started that, right? And there's yeah, a movie about him. He just passed three weeks ago. Four weeks oh, ago. he did. Oh my gosh, yeah. I had a conversation with him within the last year yeah. oh my gosh so, okay so we have story and this is the this is the evidence like 
when do you want to learn about someone? When do you want, like, like there are people that are going to pass and you, they're your mentors or you idolize them or they inspire you. This is the time when you can say, hey, you're important to me. Do you mind if I listen to your story, but can I actually record it? And then you have it, but more importantly, send these people to us. We would love to capture their story, put them in Dose of Hope. There is no charge. Please understand this. There's no charge to share an inspirational story or to be in a key smiling book. We operate on donations only. So if you're not in abundance, we scholarship you. If you're in abundance, believe it or not, people have paid in, in donations, $2,500 to $5,000. And my mouth drops, but they're moved by what we're doing. So it's not, that's free will. You know, have you heard of uh, Who's Who? Who's mm -hmm. Who directory? Okay. So people call you and they go, oh my gosh, Jen Taylor, we would like to put you in the Who's Who. And you go, awesome. And, and, and you're like, how can I help? And they're like, well, send us $500 or send us $1,500 and we're going to go ahead and do that. Well, that's not, that's not actually acknowledging you, honoring you or anything. That's just saying, do you have a pocketbook? And if you do, you can pay us and then we'll let you play. With the smiling. Yeah. And so people are not ready for this conversation that we're having. We're having a conversation with people. Hey, Jen, you're doing great things in the world. We'd like to, we'd like to actually capture and share your story to inspire others. There's people that need to know that they can do something that you are doing that is possible because they've given up hope. You share the story and you say, well, what's the catch or what do you got to pay? And I say, hey, we would certainly love for you to donate. We'd certainly love to help with the expenses. But if you can't, we're going to do this for you because we you were right. picked. And that is that is a distinction. And that is it's so huge how many whether it's advertising or marketing or books or anything, if you pay enough, you can, it's like buying likes. You just <laughs> exactly. buy the likes. You just have to, right. I, I have a friend who started a YouTube channel and said, I'll have a thousand followers within two months. And I'm like, I don't even have 300 followers and it's been three, like, how are you doing that? And he's like, just watch, I'll do it. But I found out he, it was all clickbait. Yeah. And I then I lost all respect. Like, okay, you you paid for enough. It means nothing. There's no engagement. There's no raw, genuine. And and those are the times where I just think, okay, well, mine will be really slow, and it will take a while, but it's going to be genuine when it happens. So, it, I love love what you're doing. I I do want to go back when you were 18 and a senior in high school, and you moved right before your senior year of high school, which is mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but that's horrible. That, no. That's horrible. No, I knew it was horrible because yeah. I, I had a little, uh, three other caveats. I had, um, I had two scholarships, one for uh, track and one for art in Illinois, and I would lose them if I went to Maryland. So I actually had my coaches saying, hey, I know that you're the captain of the track team, cross country team, and you have the scholarship to Illinois State University for art. You can stay. Like each, each person independently offered, they didn't collaborate or say, you're going to stay here three months or two months. So I had three different invitations to stay and live with my teacher to finish my senior year. And I said, I'm going to go with my family because I was just, I didn't know why that would be the, the, a good choice to stay. I knew that it was going to be easier choice. I didn't think it was going to be a good choice. And so when I came to Maryland, I said, I'm an unknown and I have to create everything I was going to create back in Illinois, make it happen. So I, I fortunately got a, a coach that was a state uh, in he was number six cross country runner in the United States, number six, and he was my coach in Maryland. So I went wow. to state in that. I went to state in, I, I actually triple stated. I, I went to state in three sports when I got here. So, you know, you, you accomplish what you're determined to accomplish. 
That's fantastic. But you had sort of a mentality that not many kids your age, like you noticed that it was an entrepreneurial dream. And well, I didn't know that before I got here. That's for sure. I, I did not know that. Any, when I got here, it was like all of a sudden Tom Sawyer was hitting me on the back saying, uh, dude, <laughs> this is it. So I didn't know it coming here. In fact, I didn't even know soccer right. existed here. And I love soccer, but I, I had passed my, my, uh, my, I guess my years of wanting to be a soccer player because I went to Illinois. You started two businesses at 18. One was the DJ business that you did for how long? Yeah. 37. Yeah. 37 years. And how, what was the other business? It was uh, design and printing. So I and did both technically. Technically you did. You had a very out of the box because this is not our first rodeo you had a very out of the box way of thinking that has stuck with me so strongly since we talked a couple months ago about how you asked people when you got print jobs for t-shirts or banners if you could just put your logo on the sleeve yeah can you share that story again so i always looked at how could i convert something and leverage it so that everyone wins. And I, I don't know where I got that, quite frankly. I did have uh, my uncle Bill Maker, who has passed, who handed me the E-Myth book, which probably had a little bit of, uh, you know, that, that information in it. But I thought, if I'm going to print shirts for people, how can I add more value that they'd want to work with me? And then I don't know who they know, and I have a wedding business. So what if I am able to put their wedding, my DJ company on the sleeve? And it came down to, if I tell them the price of the shirt, then they have a yes or no. But if I cut the price down about 10 or 20% or more and say, can I have the sleeve? You're not using it. They said yes almost every time. So I, I, I almost got every print order. And yes, it was a, a less of a margin and profit, but it was, it, it led to new conversations. If I got a no from someone on the shirt, then there's no conversations. But if I grow with them, the new conversations are, by the way, uh, Susie's having her 16th uh, graduation or birthday. We'd like to have you since we have this on our sleeve, what's what's the chance we can have you as a DJ? And so all this conversation became very natural and easy to build. You are creating this out of the box, warm lead, like funnel for yourself that was incredible. And you changed it when you did nonprofits and stuff, you did the banners free of charge, but you had your logo on it. How did you do that one? So I'd have my printer um, do the banner for me and I'd put his uh, his logo at the bottom and I would attach a couple other logos of other organizations that I wanted to work with. And I would send them pictures of it and say, hey, I just want to let you know, I believe in your organization. I'm putting it on my banner. Every time I go somewhere, you're, you're with me. And those kind of things got me in the door of doing all their events. Right. Uh, you, where you live, did you have something called the entertainment book by any chance? It's a, it's a big, it's actually about the size of this. It was, uh, it's 50% off dining basically oh yes 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 i know what you're talking about yep mm -hmm. so they allowed a section in the back that was about i don't know about that big compared to this much of restaurants it was this big of right. ancillary services well we were the only dj service crazy enough to get 50 percent off do you know how you get 50 percent off your dj service how's that raise your rates oh <laughs> so our rates were not quite twice, but almost twice what everyone else was. And we made sure that when the discount came in, it was 20% less than everyone else. Mm. 
And so we got all the DJ jobs. I mean, it was insane how many DJ jobs. People were like, I can use my entertainment book. I can save $400. And each year, because we were growing so much, it was $500 next year. It became almost 750 bucks you could save on DJ service. And they're thinking, now what we did was we actually gave them that value. We proved it. Otherwise, you'd lose your stars. So we still had to do a $1,500 job, but we got cash flow to pay for servicing the, the client. And we got so much cash coming in. I mean, we did... 1400 events a year when it was when as it grew and these were all high-end weddings so the thing that was interesting is the high-end weddings were like wow we can save 750 bucks well guess what that was a cap so if the wedding was 2500 dollars, they're still only getting 750 off and i say that because that was creative marketing mm -hmm. you i love the stories that you have about creative marketing i absolutely love them I want to jump in now to the decision to move back home and be a caretaker, how much that changed your life. I know it changed your life in that you wanted to be purpose-driven and you came out of it that way, but it changed your life going into it and how difficult that process, like what were the best things about that? What were the hardest things about that? Um, well, for anyone that has not watched The Notebook, <laughs> watch it and you get an idea of what it is to have two people meet when they're in their teens and go through life and watch one of them get to mention eventually Alzheimer's and uh, is, is the cruelest disease. So the, the hard part is saying goodbye to someone who's your biggest cheerleader. That is by far the hardest part. But there are so many rewards to it too because I didn't have the greatest relationship with my dad and I was actually kind of a hellion. And I mean, he just had a tough time with me. I'm an entrepreneur and he was a, an army officer. He was used to conformity. He was used to everything working the way it's supposed to work. I saw him doing this alone. And my brother and sister, who were the perfect siblings, not to be, not to be mean, but they weren't giving up their job to go help dad and mom. And they, they had their full life. I'm not judging them, but it was quite the opportunity for me to say to my dad, I love you. And it was also the opportunity for me to hang with my mom. I talked to my, uh, my, my, vice president and my general manager, I said, Hey, this wasn't planned, but I'm out. Um, you guys run the company and I wish you the best. I'll be here for headaches, but I, sh you know, with the way our company runs, there's not that many headaches because they already used to me saying you figured out that's by the way, if you are a micromanager, you are not ready to be a caregiver because you can't leave anything. So, um, me allowing them to run the company as if they own it is the way I wanted them to always think about the company as they own it, not me. And so in helping my dad, I got to go there at seven o'clock every morning, three o'clock every afternoon and 11 o'clock every night. And I got to, I got to show my dad that he wasn't alone. And I, I, I'd never seen my dad crumble. I'd never seen my dad cry. And boy, that will take you down. That is a, a very humbling experience to not have power and to watch someone leave. And like you said, my, my mom could talk about the sixties, like, and, and I, I, in a way uh, was, kind of making fun of it because I'd, I'd say a word that I knew would trigger her and then she'd go into like a 10 minute recording that she didn't know that she said the day before. But in hindsight, it was it was really good for me to do that because I got to hear the stories over and over again. And they were a love story that you got to see play out as totally. an adult, as an adult. Uh, 100%. I, my dad was a senior um, whatever uh, military intelligence at NSA, National Security Agency. I'll never know what he did because he, he, he was very good about keeping that a secret. But he told them, I am going to go on sabbatical to take care of my wife. That was not even a decision. Like it was not a deliberation. 
He wasn't going to put her in a, a home. He says, I don't trust anyone to take care of her better than me. And actually, that's why I opened up Perfect Publishing as a, as a publishing company. I said, no one's going to publish my book better than me. And I said, no one's going to treat my book like it is a birth, like it's going to live. Most people publish to print, and it's a bucket list, and they deliver, and it's done. That's the end of the line. What we did was we said when it is delivered, that's the start. That's where we start to actually nurture it, market it, create a campaign that's going to get the book to actually help the author instead of make it just another thing. Right. Which is a huge, that's a huge difference in publishing. And it's a great way to think about it because if, unless you've, well, once you've done it, once I went through the process, I understood all the things I didn't understand before. And that's difficult because you miss it the first round. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's two, I guess, kind of analogies about value. So one is in the DJ business, I got a lot of business by asking a very simple question. They'd say, you know, you're $1,000 more than any other company we're talking to. And I say, okay, I understand that. If I paid you that $1,000 difference, I pay you to do your event, but I get to destroy your event. Will you take it? And they're like, no, hell no. I said, that's it. People pay us to ensure that they don't have anything to worry about. And so the we had an 85% close ratio at a thousand dollar, you know, almost a doubling of anyone else. Well, the same thing with publishing. If someone spends $30,000, $10,000, $200 in publishing, but the book doesn't impact the world, doesn't, no one even knows about it. It's a real question of why are you doing it then? So when we meet an author, we really want the book to impact the world. We want the book to get them abundance. Yeah, I love that. I want to wrap up our I don't, time. <laughs> I don't either, but <laughs> no, this I know what you're gonna, hour you're gonna of time. Me, you're going to kick me off again. <laughs> Look, if you don't end it, I will. <laughs> I want you to share, because you've had some really unique experiences and you are a serial entrepreneur. I, I want to go back and um, do some shout outs because I'm really proud of you genuinely proud of you. You were honored as America's most influential business connector and entrepreneur of the year. And you personally are a published author of at least 30 books, not, and your son has more than you now almost. <laughs> he's getting there. He'll have more than me by the time he's 20. That's for sure. You support a lot of nonprofits and it says amplifying leaders who lead with their heart. And that's your amplified radio show right, right yeah i i'm just super super proud of what you're doing because it's really big and you've been awarded a lot and you really play that down quite a bit that you you're trying to do some pretty amazing things in the world and it's and none of it's about you it's all about amplifying other people and getting other people joy and recognizing other people who are doing good things. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned since your mom passed away and you kind of rededicated your life? What would you have told your younger self or your son? And what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? Well, I would have told my younger self, invest in uh, Amazon, Tesla, <laughs> and Apple. Um, but what I would yeah. tell, yeah, so... I, I'm constantly surprised that when we say I have to be 
more powerful, that we still can be more powerful. That is something that blows me away. And by the way, that is one of the reasons I do not really take the acknowledgement seriously, because every time I get new challenges, I have to face them and I grow. And so that's been a big deal. I'll tell you um, really a big compliment to you and to people I want to serve. When someone is cool about you being late and when someone's cool that there's technical difficulties and when someone's cool that you make a mistake, those are the people you want to work with. Yeah. Because what they're doing is they're saying, I want to continue. And I meet people that X people at one mistake. So you could do a hundred good things and you do one bad thing. By the way, the bad thing could be trivial or serious. It doesn't matter which one, they're gone. And I have learned at this point in my life, I want to work with people that are cool. People that actually understand what it is to smile. When you smile, you say, it's not a big deal. And I forgive or I don't forgive, but it's not a big deal. Let's get past it. And that's the way you've been. I mean, when this audience hears that we're not really joking, we went eight weeks of different problems, excuses, um, but persistence was always prevailing. Yeah. And I want to acknowledge you because you're the type of person I'll go, you know, 50 times with, hey, it's not going to work. You heard every time I said, no big deal. And you said the same thing. That's the and there we go. Yep. Yeah. And here we have a great podcast because we were patient and persistent. Yeah. That's a great lesson to learn. Don't pray for those two things. Because... <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but if you meet a client and they're late, yep. the best thing you can ever say to them is, no big deal. I got some other stuff done. I wouldn't have gotten done if it wasn't for you being a little late. So no big deal. And yeah. I'm telling you what, you will just increase your chance of working with them because they're going to be like, that made me feel good. Right. So how do you make people feel good? Let it be. Let it be. Because I, I, I think there's two things I'll leave with on this. Most people are doing their best because I haven't found too many people that aren't. They're, they're really doing their best. They may not know how to do better or that's where the growth is. But my mom will be the one I'll finish with. When I had problems with people, it was because I looked for what was wrong with them. And I could tell my mom and she'd go, yeah, that's going to always be the problem. If you look for the good in people, you always find it. And that has been what's given me the most rewards in my life. Look for the good in people and you always find it. Hmm. Ken, thank you so much for being on again. Take 70. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally worth it no matter how many times we had to do it. Thank you. Thank you. I am really grateful. Likewise, and you're going to be on my show once we get your dose of hope in. And yes. Everything and everything happens when it's supposed to, Jen. I agree 100%. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day.